Hello and welcome to the first episode of Through the Alley Part 2. This is your host Ashit. I'm the founder of Baxter Alley and Baxter Alley Productions. And I'm your co-host Sai, the director of Baxter Alley and Baxter Alley Productions. Welcome to the part 2 of the podcast you have all been waiting for. If you haven't seen the first part, please check that out before you listen to this so that you're up to date about this podcast. We discuss about a lot of serious topics like anxiety, overthinking and topics that needed some light on. Example, depression and therapy. Part 1 was truly something, right? Ah, uh, Yeah, for sure. And this episode is going to be more fun and I can assure you that you'll end this podcast with a smile on your face and a lot of facts in your brain. Okay, without further ado, let's get what this episode has in store for us. Shall we? Go on, Thank go you. on, Ashit. Let's do this. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> Having said that, sir, uh, this this question again, is it okay for a, uh, for parents to intrude their child's privacy in the name of care? And how do you draw the line between no. privacy and consent? I think my students have a very strong opinion about it. Who was yeah, there? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you guys can go start ahead. Start a no. Yeah. A strong no, please. Whoever said strong no, just start over. It. I mean, okay, I I said no because you know, like a uh, like person has all rights to like grow all by himself like the parents must be there like there are like different types of uh, fa- different types of parenting styles and i would really say that pa- helicopter parenting is kind of nice but you what know like invading privacy uh this is new to yeah, us what helicopter, parenting? helicopter parenting sir am i right helicopter parenting about helicopter parenting uh, you just mentioned it what you, uh, did you explain it okay uh, I mean, like I just said that, you know, like uh, talking about like parenting style and yeah. parents invade uh, privacy and all of that. It would like more come into authoritarian type of parenting style or authoritative. I, yeah, so it's uh, basically the kind of parenting yeah. where the parent plays, uh, plays yeah. like really, really close emphasis on what the child is doing. So they might actually, there, there's let, little room for privacy and those kind of aspects in this kind of parenting. Yeah, but if we're in like helicopter parenting, you actually sit with your parents, the child actually sits with parents and then they, you know, like communicate properly, they sort out things and then they uh, keep talking about like what is right and what is wrong and that's how the development and the growth takes place. I think uh, if there are like any older audiences for parents, I would say that, you know, like this kind of parenting is more effective than you invading your child's privacy and saying, don't do this, don't do that, and giving no reasons behind it. Yeah. yeah. Make sure. Tanisha. (laughs) How do you exactly draw a line between privacy and concern? Right. No, uh, privacy, that is more of a murky issue because when you are not a parent, like I am also not a parent, but from whatever I have read and heard, People keep giving this definition. So if I if I might say that, okay, you shouldn't do that as a parent, uh, maybe something that you guys must have heard your parents or people say that you will understand only when you are you are a parent. Yeah, yeah, right? So yeah. Yes, I you heard, must have heard I, of I it. Hear this yeah. So if yeah. you come home late or whatever, uh, you don't call, you don't pick up in time or whatever, it's like you'll only understand when you're a parent. Right. So it's it is uh, it's talking about that shift that happens when your child is born. Right, it's. Uh, I think you'll uh, you learn about it in developmental psychology later on. It's this kind of shift that happens. You, at first, it's you and your partner who are one team, and then the child is something that you both expect. But once the child is born, 
that kind of affection moves on to the parent and the child versus one partner right that doesn't necessarily mean the enemies it's just a that kind of dynamic of the family itself shifts right so right. it is more of a murky issue because you as not not being parents you might not understand it right but parents say that you will only understand when you're a child right but uh, obviously from a psychological perspective it is not recommended to go through your child's things because if there is not proper uh, space given for privacy obviously the kind of uh, proper emotional attachments that need to be formed with the parent will not be formed right you will not have right. a secure kind of attachment that needs to be formed between a child and the parent but yeah one point that i want to make is uh, at least today there are a lot of kids our generation <laughs> uh, by the time we got to social media we were a little grown up say um and you were between 12 and 14 years by the time we got access to it but younger kids today uh, there's a lot of sexual uh, predatory that goes on online and they wouldn't tell their parents about it either because they're embarrassed mm-hmm. or they don't mm-hmm. know that they're victims of it so in this case if parents do not monitor what their child does like and this is solely with respect to social media uh, it is true like uh... Uh, some sort of privacy should be given to an individual but at the same time like yeah even comparing to my generation like i'm 24 now so i got my smartphone and access to internet while i was uh, about 15 16 so yeah but people now have smartphone at age 8 to 10 i mean i know do they have the maturity to you know wade through the contents that like internet offers you everything you want and there are a lot of people out and over in the internet but when you connect to it you should have that maturity to select which one you want and what you don't want and it's very hard to do that when you're just 8 or 10 so in that regard is it okay to have parents intervention uh, <laughs> the thing about parents intervention is they might not necessarily look out for uh, like you would expect that if a parent is intervening they might uh, sort of filter their child's presence online but most parents will actually try to cut out the whole thing at once instead of maybe trying to monitor and it is actually a valid concern from their point also some countries have tried to ban mm-hmm. tiktok or they have had issues regarding tiktok because of this kind mm-hmm. of predatory nature that was present so girls would do these dances mm-hmm. and all whatever and they'll have a presence on tiktok and the kind of messages and mm-hmm. direct messages that they would get would clearly be of a you know of a predatory nature so from a parents perspective mm-hmm. it is definitely a cause for concern right right yeah yep so uh, they need to have uh, tabs on their children because they are not matured enough to go through that and all the social media gives them a lot of instant dopamine like that is what all these short videos and this instant right. the exactly. social media yes. uses so it's it's I, more like an addiction when um there's an age limit yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, age restriction not limit so they say uh, you need to be 16 and over or 18 and over and the issue that comes up is that a lot of people fabricate their age and i feel that's what parents need to have a control on like you there is no dying need for a child to be on social media having internet access of course, yeah, yeah um there are benefits to it but social media i don't think uh, for a 10 year old it would be safe for them because it's a very shitty world that we live in wow a strong statement <laughs> <Like> for- <laughs> Like even for Facebook, the, the minimum age requirement is 13, which uh, yeah. like many of us haven't looked through any of their uh, privacy policy or their regulations. We just click on yes and go and then accept. 
and 13 is actually the age they are mandating but no i know there are a lot of I, 13 i feel it's not just the online platforms that people fabricate their identity it's, it it comes to going to pubs and stuff people actually uh, make other identities like they have a 21 year they fake the 21 year old identity and go to Yes, okay. that is true. Even for TikTok, age restriction is around a sixteen years. Yeah, I I checked it. Age restriction is around sixteen years. But not all people yeah, exactly. in that uh, platform is above sixteen. Right. So uh, this happens. And in this term, like, is it okay for a parent to come in and you know like stop these apps, put uh, restrictions on uh, the what apps they use or what content they view in their phones? Because the a child is having a view or perception or on the world through their phones nowadays like it is the only way they're going to have an experience because people are not going outside now right. they are not actually interacting with uh, more people to get a sense of the world the sense of the world comes through the phone that they have so is it okay for a parents to come in and you know have a swoop in in these matters yes uh, they definitely need to come i mean that is what i said right so i'll go back to the answer that i gave before communication is really really important especially when it comes to parenting mm. so a child needs to talk to their parents about whatever they're going through and then the ch- uh, i mean the parents have to make sure that you know they don't react in a very you know aggressive way but like the reason it down to their kids like why this is wrong and why this is right what might happen if you get into such sort of things and what might be the consequences like right. make the child understand yeah i think that would work so oh yeah no i think we've covered this particular aspect towards it this is more of a since this is a newer aspect to it it's we can't really use any forms of therapy or anything like that this particular problem needs to be something that should be solved by uh, a conversation with your parents right and the kind of issues regarding safety and whatever precautions that need to be taken uh this is not really something that a psychologist especially uh, per se can help you with they can deal with the aftermath of it but this is more of a the kind of communication that you have with your parents this is more about that god yeah. no we actually want you guys to throw light on is a is a 10 to 12 year old actually mature enough to handle these decisions or uh, to you know uh, give some room for the parents so that they can come in and tell them in this regard Yeah 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 so i know i understood your thing but this is more like a very individualistic thing so since we, whatever theories that we are using we are using theories that have stood the test of time right so we have been developing theories true, true. since online uh, presence and all have come but uh, as of now it's more of a conversation right and uh, be, as, yes. at this particular point we can only talk about basic precautions and uh, all the things that can be sort of dealt with regarding cyber bullying or predatory presence on online nature and all ask another question uh, in your opinion what are the essential components of trust oh my god oh. <laughs> <laughs> i know it's such a broad question to potent answer but i we would just want your opinion yeah, that's why i said in your opinion okay uh, i'm not using any psychological terms here in trust okay because uh, yeah uh, i don't think any major theories revolve around trust uh, so uh, it's basically don't cheat people i don't, I don't know you guys tanish uh, and yarika i think you guys should talk a bit more about this trust is yeah like you said it's a very broad concept i don't know what to like say about it just keep things transparent don't hide don't lie 
Keep your promises. <laughs> Keep your promises. Yeah, it's really hard now. All right. So, like, uh, uh, even in the sense, like, trust, then you have it something, you have some, is it something you personally have between uh, people you already know or something? But at the same time, when, uh, is there any uh, way, like, it's different in psychology that you can appear yourself, like, show yourself as a trustworthy person when you're meeting someone for new? Like, uh, I just uh, read somewhere, like, uh, there are, like, don't cross your hands and stand it. It might show that you are, like, you know, in not in an open mentality to receive a person. So in this kind of way, is there some techniques that I can use to, you know, get trust? Oh, like that. Yeah, I mean, I guess there are some. Oh. Yes, I mean, uh, I, I, that's one thing that I, I, sh- I think I should make clear. Uh, before people join psychology or maybe they are in UG mm-hmm. or whatever, a lot of their understanding mm-hmm. about psychology is from uh, some quizzes or some, uh, like some articles that they might have read. Like uh, psychology yes, says that if a person is looking yes, at you in the yes. eye, they are telling the truth. Or you know, the, you you must have seen so many memes like that. Yeah. So actually, in Instagram and Facebook, there's this terrible, terrible thing. It's called uh, I don't know. It's this kind of meme where it says psychology says people whose names start yeah. with S are more reliable. Oh. Yeah. 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 And I'm like I have studied it for five years. I have literally never heard of anything like that. So, uh, yeah, so there are some body language aspects to it, but that is, uh, I, I'll just tell you now, uh, that is not at all even remotely the concern that we study about, like, uh, like at least not an important concern that we study about. Maybe in uh, criminal psychology or something, you might be talking about it, but it's not uh, something that's of importance when we're talking about it. Mm-hmm. Certainly, there is a psychological component to it. But it's not something that you might study in a mainstream course, right? So certain things like, uh, other than body language also, like some things that sort of denote that, okay, this person is a trustworthy person is your expression of certain emotions, right? Or so expression of certain mm-hmm. behaviors. If a person shows gratitude, right? For example, you did something from them, it could be something as simple as thank you. Right? That is noted by the other person, right? So importance okay. of showing gratitude, if they are willing to actually talk about a secret with you, uh, if they, uh, you, know, you know, simple things like if you're in a group and you are cut off in the middle of a conversation, one person might ask you mm-hmm. to continue, even though the rest of the group has moved on, right? So these are all used like, towards the more abstract concepts of uh, social psychology. You do study about it, but it's not considered to be like a top secret or top, a really important part of, you know, social psychology or all. So what are some things that you guys might have heard of that, okay, this particular behavior might make you more trustworthy? Looking in the eye and talking. Yeah, yeah. So. The one thing that I've heard is, oh, yeah, exactly what Niharika said, that looking in the eyes and talking. If you look down, you're lying or something. That's something that I've heard. Yeah. Pointing your legs towards someone and sitting. Oh, that means, oh yeah, yeah, I've yeah, heard yeah, that yeah. too. Like when you're standing, if your legs are pointed towards someone, like you're much more interested yeah, yeah. in listening to that person. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Again, when it comes to these these particular things, there's a lot of other issues that uh, act upon it. Some people are just not comfortable looking in your eyes. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're lying. It's so many people are just uncomfortable, especially uh, yeah. I don't. Yeah, exactly. It's gonna be creepy. Yeah, some people are very comfortable looking at someone's eyes. Uh, There's a gender disparity also. Women tend to look at people's eyes much more than men do. Right, and uh, mm. men might actually see it in certain contexts. If there's too much eye contact, men might actually see it as a sign of aggression. 
right so there's different oh. components to it as well oh yes yes yeah. i've seen ro- so many uh, fights starting saying you were looking at me like between men yeah oh yeah you were, you yes he yes. was uh, being in college we all have to go through that yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm like he just looked at you and you fought for it and he was like yes he looked at me like, okay okay i couldn't Does understand it but increase when someone is intoxicated because i've uh, seen it happen a lot in pubs and bars people will just be standing there and they happen to look up and see someone and they'll be like oh my god you're staring at me uh, why did you look at me don't you know who sana i am you know shit like that it's official age <laughs> pubs is 21 tanisha <laughs> is 20 i think <laughs> i don't i don't want anyone to go to jail because of this podcast. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so we are moving on and about this addiction and when she mentioned pubs i want to ask about something i want to talk about psychedelics oh my god uh, oh my god Every, everyone's going to listen to this podcast now <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes we have to plug in something that's going to benefit everyone here i want to talk about psychedelics i actually didn't you know discuss this topic prior with you guys but, uh, but uh, i just recently you know got it like i i should get some knowledge about this so what are psychedelics and yeah please please throw some light on what are psychedelics so psychedelics would be a substance that would traditionally be classified under what we would call hallucinogenic hell, what what is that thing yeah that thing <laughs> i could never say it in class also yeah so it would come under it causes hallucinations so it doesn't always need to be visual it could be auditory it could be uh, tactile or different kinds of hallucinations right so usually all kinds of uh, psychedelic drugs almost in all countries are banned to a certain extent or at least restricted right and the kind of attitudes that people have regarding these things are also uh, much more negative than uh, like other substances like alcohol and nicotine because it has played a higher role in the deaths of a lot of famous people as well or near death experiences oh. and odding and all it has resulted in it and because of its mm-hmm. uh, very few people are violent the kind of demeanor that they might take is different uh, drugs when it comes under this but most of the time mm-hmm. violence or aggression is not something that's associated with this right so people are much more likely to use it as well right so it's supposed to especially okay. people who are trying to chase what you would call uh, uh, trying to achieve a different state of consciousness or an altered state of consciousness and see different kinds of reality and all that is the justification that people wow. i've heard yeah. i've heard this yeah yeah exactly yeah so uh, so a lot of people do uh, and actually some studies have also shown to a certain extent that compared to addiction levels like compared to let's say alcohol or let's say heroin or something like that the addiction or the withdrawal mm-hmm. symptoms of these particular drugs are not as high or not as severe not nearly as severe oh. so because of it the, the withdrawal symptoms right so you might not be not addicted it. to them you might not have withdrawal symptoms if you stop using them so because of this people do use that as a and because of the people do see it as more of a positive drug like it's not as bad using it because i don't feel bad after mm. using it i don't have withdrawal symptoms after using it like after smoking or after drinking there'll be some uh, physiological symptoms that are left afterwards also right but usually you don't have something like this after consuming some form of psychedelics right yeah so it's actually a murkier issue because um you know exactly what alcohol does you know exactly what uh, smoking does but there's different classes of psychedelics right and uh, different mm-hmm. all of them have sort of different effects on different people right? if you drink you know everyone is going to be drunk 
Like if you smoke, you're going to be relaxed. Yep. There are certain physiological symptoms that we follow, increased blood pressure and all of those things, right? But there's different kinds. Every day there are new and new uh, variations of a psychedelic. Right? A lot of it do lead uh, to. So can you yeah. can you throw us some like what are the most commonly known psychedelics that is prevalent around in our society? Uh, or in the LSD world? and DMT are some of the most yeah. uh, common ones, and then there's this thing called mescaline also. If you've heard, mescaline is the street mm-hmm. name. But uh, the actual name is uh, well, I don't know. But yeah, LSD and. Uh, Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, I actually don't know. I actually don't know. Right. The thing is, whenever I'm teaching anything about substance in class, when I'm talking about alcohol, no one will say anything. Cigarettes, nothing. But when it comes to psychedelics, everyone will pay attention. Yes. So yes. that is something like I, yeah. I've seen. Now you can share your extensive knowledge about this subject. ஒன்னுமேஷன்ஸ் yeah so they they have a place in medicine right so uh, if a person is suffering from some kind of uh, back pain something as simple as a back pain uh you broken the leg and they need some form of pain relief anything right so they have a place in uh, medicine right psychedelics as such don't really have a lot of place in uh, mainstream medicine right, right. so yeah, there's been different tests yeah, done and there's this thing called uh, psychedelic therapy and all i'm not sure i'm not really aware of how uh what has been proven or how you know useful it is but yeah uh does weed come under i had this question but i was skeptical about asking it okay someone asked thank you <laughs> oh, oh let's let's throw light on everything you want to know oh i uh, this is not my field i'm not sure <laughs> i'm not sure what it comes under guys neither do i uh, oh, yeah, in a lot yeah. of uh, countries uh marijuana hemp they, it's been uh, legalized yeah, yeah. and some for recreational use too yeah. so at the same time uh, you know people say like uh, tobacco causes cancer and all this but weed doesn't so you should actually ban tobacco and legalize weed everywhere <laughs> it's a this cash crop, yeah. crop. it's yeah, been yeah. in the what to say in the history of this country too yeah. like it's named kanja because it's it, it grows on the banks of the uh, river ganges so there's been a lot of debate over this topic so does, does it come under psychedelics uh, is there any patient that came to you in with addiction with weed uh i have pay, i have had whenever i worked in uh, any kind of addiction center we have had patients who have some form of addiction to marijuana but it will be something that's mm-hmm. coupled with something else right so uh, you guys must have heard the okay. saying that uh, weed is a gateway drug right so uh, yes, yeah, what does that mean when uh, when uh, someone says that ge- uh, something is a gateway drug no uh, it's the beginning like there's more to it after you move like yeah the beginning so, so that's the thing about weed it's consi- the reason that a lot of people say that it's a gateway drug is you try weed right there will not be a lot of uh, adverse or negative physical outcome uh, you might have mm-hmm. some fears and you might actually feel really good doing it but you you will not have the kind of negative physical outcomes that you have why after smoking or after uh, drinking right so that will lead you to first of all it usually increases your tolerance right so you need more quantities of it and then later on to chase the same kind of feeling that you have you will move on to other drugs that is the concept behind gateway drug so 
another reason okay. that is considered to be gateway drug is it's much more accessible than other hardcore substances right so patients that i have had they have almost always started with weed no one was in mm-hmm. only because of a marijuana uh, dependency or a marijuana withdrawal symptoms and uh, when you compare the withdrawal symptoms of marijuana to alcohol yeah. alcohol is always much more severe it's it's relatively easier to just cure or just treat marijuana withdrawal symptoms right but there's no one that i have seen who've just come for a marijuana itself because if you're using marijuana for a long time you might you are more likely to end up using other substances as well okay. um, is alcohol more difficult like alcohol dependency more difficult to treat yeah so yeah definitely physical uh, impact that it has because it physically alters your body yeah yeah exactly because another thing about alcohol is the withdrawal symptoms are really really severe right and uh, compared oh. to withdrawal symptoms to let's say just marijuana a person who is just using marijuana it's very difficult not as alcohol even smoking something as commonly available cigarettes cigarette smoking withdrawal mm. symptoms are much harder to cure or treat than uh, marijuana itself right so because of all of this there's this kind of more of a ne- uh, positive connotation when it comes to marijuana and people say that you know we should like you had said uh, there's a you know legalize it and all of that campaigns going mm-hmm. on around the world Uh, hashtag legalize it. Yeah, hashtag legal. Okay, I shouldn't say. Yeah, but yeah. So there's different uh, states, and uh, I think there's a movement in India too, and there's a movement in almost every major country to legalize it. So because yes. it does have yeah. again, it serves a medicinal purpose, right? There's this one school of thought called as transpersonal psychology, which deals with the study of, you know, like all the experiences. It's experimentally induced. uh with the help of hallucinogens and other psychedelics and all of that oh so people use psychedelics yeah. to actually you know so like, therapy to people it's one you know like a very controversial topic to talk about ah i see so you can give in your opinions there's no uh, there's no yeah like, there's nothing wrong in giving you opinions. yeah you left jane it's fine <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah. To some extent, yeah, I feel like it works. But then, you know, like too much can also be bad. Too much is too bad. So yeah. Yep, got it. So I just now learned that uh, in some places, in some kind of techniques, they do use it. So I'll go through uh, through it, and yeah, maybe in the next uh, podcast, following this. we will invite you guys and we'll have a more in-depth discussion about all these other <laughs> yeah, yeah, controversial sure, sure, sure. and unconventional uh, you know methods of therapy that exist in psychology so i'll be very much happy to listen to you guys about it so again yeah like even in uh, well we're talking about different countries legalizing it uh, canada has legalized all throughout netherlands has legalized it and wait what <laughs> what <laughs> hey guess who's going to canada next year <laughs> canada yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> guess who's going to canada next year <laughs> no no I, heard, <laughs> no i i heard i heard kerala i was like when did that happen <laughs> no 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 it's canada <laughs> canada yeah yeah i know i know so in canada yeah it's legal in netherlands it's legal in us around uh, 12 to 13 states i think Uh, it's yeah, yeah. legalized and in cuba it's famous and it's legalized yeah there are countries doing it and uh, since the, this has been legalized in a lot of countries there's been a substantial amount of data to have a debate and people are having a debate about it uh, personally me i don't have a topic in this because i don't know about it and i'm not even in the same field but i have read a lot of research papers 
if it's really helping people uh, medically and uh, it is a uh, big farmers that are lobbying against this drug and i think this should drug be available for person who need it like i saw like uh, people with anxiety ptsd and uh, other it, it's a big replacement for painkillers also so if yeah actually uh, through, yeah especially more than anxiety and all of that will definitely but uh, during chemotherapy sometimes uh, the kind of painkillers that they give will not be effective and I, yeah. you can actually see these videos of americans who cross the like who are undergoing chemotherapy they'll cross yeah. the border into canada and they'll okay. you know to uh, gain access to marijuana because it's a much better uh, pain reliever than the kind of opioids that are available to them right so in a uh, pain relief in a cancer context also i think that's the major that and glaucoma these two are the major uh, medicinal uses other than the, yeah. the several other uses yeah. i think uh, one of the main reasons why it's not legalized is because they can't control its um, selling you it's so easy to get get a hold of um, you know other uh, over the counter drugs that people can get addicted to but if you start le- if you legalize these drugs then the hold on because it's uh, very easy to get addicted to them and then de addiction becomes an issue so but, uh, i think that's one of the main reasons why it's not legalized but when you actually look at it if you legalize it you can actually control it you can give license to the places and you can you know put a constriction over it but when it's not legalized it's anyway going to happen like i studied in a university i know what happened like how easy it is for a person to go out and buy a packet of weed and come in being in chennai i'm just saying my i know that you know like uh, we don't want to put personal anecdotes here but i'm just saying like what i have seen through yeah. even through a lot of my friends through a groups i'm pretty sure like you guys have also like you know been in that situation so definitely i understand that but you know it's very easy especially in our country to get a hold of controlled substances exactly. uh, illegally or anything controlled right i mean i'm not 20 i'm not 21 and i can get into um, clubs and pubs and all of that and a lot of youngsters i see 60 see i'm years old that's okay i'm just like what 6 months away from being 21 so it's fine i see 15 and 16 year olds inside clubs and bars at uh, 12 o'clock yeah, so no. if it's easy like look how easy it is for them to get in you just need a little bit of uh, photoshop and that's all done <laughs> so <laughs> it's not difficult not really to get access to it okay yeah all yeah, right at the same time it, uh, when it's uh, legalized at least it could be controlled in a way uh, control its manufacturing exactly control its production and control its selling when uh, you know when countries legalize it the prices uh, of uh, doing it out of the realm is really high so those people can't be able to afford to sell it because already people who have the license to produce and sell it will be selling it at a much lower cost so they will out with the competitors so the only place you can buy this drug is through legalized stores which has happened in canada so the amount of selling that goes table or uh, is very low so now they are able to you know uh, make sure that minors don't catch a hold of these drugs and only people who really need it are able to get this drug through prescriptions or through by having a license for it so yeah through legalization this could happen but at the same time a lot of illegal substances even though it's legalized are still flowing here in this country so i do understand the duality of this nature but i'm just uh, explaining you guys the both the uh, sides of the story that i've read through okay okay can i move to the next question yes, yes. yeah 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 
Yeah. Okay, this question is to Nihal sir. Have you ever failed to properly diagnose a client or offer helpful counseling? What did you do in that situation? uh yes <laughs> the thing is uh, whenever you are starting out right for the la- yeah. for the lack of a better method of doing this you'll always start mm-hmm. out as a complete novice no amount of theory can actually prepare you for that first or second kind of therapy sessions i i often say that you learn more in the first 5 minutes of actually doing therapy the first 5 oh. to 10 minutes of actually doing therapy than in my entire ug all 3 years that i've studied i've actually learned more in that first 10 minutes of actually doing therapy right because that's when you actually realize that therapy is you not know, you could learn every single thing but sometimes you just freeze right and if you freeze in front of a client that's terrible because they need to have that kind of confidence in you and they are entering that particular session with some amount of confidence in you right they might not necessarily be expect to be cured but they definitely do expect to be heard right so we have like when i was studying that all of that we have these little tricks to make sure that the conversation is always going or uh, at least to make make sure there's no awkward gaps so like there will be some tricks i you know i guess i can reveal it to you guys cuz you're psychologists uh, you always carry like a notebook or something so that even if there's nothing you just look into it and you just start <laughs> writing random things so in movies and all when you're seeing people write down some things usually you're sort of writing down what is going on the course of the client's thoughts and all of that but sometimes when you have nothing you sort of use it and you'll go back and stuff like that sometimes you'll ask them to repeat their things again and again obviously this should only happen if you have reached a place where there's absolutely nothing that you can say and sometimes that can happen you will have clients sometimes who will refuse to say anything like apps anything at all this will usually happen when those clients are referred right if clients themselves come to talk to you then that's a different case but if like the student okay. and they have been referred by their school or by their parents or all they'll come and sit in front of sit in front of you they'll say i have absolutely no problem my parents think <laughs> i have something i have absolutely no issues and that person might have been like busted open his friend's head with a pencil box or something and they'll sit <laughs> in front of you and they'll say i have no problem yeah yeah it's good that you brought that uh, thing up because the next question is about that itself what are the thoughts what what are your thoughts about confidentiality how do you deal with issues where you are you have to reveal the details of a client because they are harmful to the others like they are harmful to the society right so uh, i think that's one of the things you study in the first semester of psychology itself is that yes. uh, conf- confidentiality is key right there's different mm-hmm. aspects to it a lot of it is in terms of research when you're actually doing research but if you are in a therapy setting right the kind of ethics that you the confidentiality that you have to follow is make sure that you have to take records by the way because there's so many clients so you need to take records some people get especially first time ones first time uh, ther- uh, people who are at, going to therapy for the first time they get a bit alarmed when they see that the psychologist has a sheet and they are writing down something Right. they might take mm-hmm. your information all that but they they need to understand that that sheet is not seen by anyone else right it's only seen by the therapist but see, people still can be fair right so you need to make sure that no one else will see that file right so i have actually seen cases where uh, you will have a bunch of cases a bunch of files of different patients and one patient when he walked in he saw that his file was on the seat that he was supposed to be sitting in now it was misplaced over there but still mm-hmm. what kind of image does that show to the client you're saying that your uh, confidentiality is protected and your file is just on your own seat right. like anyone could have you know gone through your file right so some patients will really really value their confidentiality 
right? And the way that you uh, measure it is also you don't really write their names. Usually you use a number or their initials. Right? So that uh, after that, you even if someone does get their hands on the site, you can't really understand who that person is. Right? You don't need to use an address or whatever. The only times that you are supposed to break confidentiality is when you feel like that person might be a threat to themselves or to others. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. So that will be in case of any suicidal tendencies or if they have some kind of homicidal tendencies. In that case, you have the option of making sure that you mention or get it known to that person or the police. Right. If you feel like that person is going to harm themselves, you do have that option. But other than these two, there are no grounds where you can break confidentiality. Now, that becomes an issue usually when you are treating children. Because parents sort of expect to know what's happening in the child's life, right? So the child might say something very personal and the parents might say, okay, what did he say in therapy? Like, I want to know what he said in therapy or not, right? That is more of a, you know, that that's those sort of issues might be a bit more blurry when it comes to children. Got it. Okay. As psychologists, what oh, we're not psychologists yet, okay. Uh, like, <laughs> with upcoming psychologists... Yeah. What is competence for a psychologist? What is incompetent for and what is incompetence for a psychologist? I'd say that's something that you'd measure by yourself, right? Sometimes uh, you, as a psychologist, especially, you can't always measure your own competence with the success of your clients because uh, it's not a hundred percent foolproof science that we are doing psychology. Like I said, we were talking about hypnosis. Basically, fifteen to twenty percent of the people can be hypnotized. Uh, if it's depression also, people say that if you're depressed, go talk to a therapist. But then, and you know, they, they expect you to take uh, antidepressants or not. But there's, there's a thing called drug-resistant depression, right? So you can't mm -hmm. always cure someone. And especially in the first year of your life when you're not really developed a pattern about how to deal with clients and all, there'll be a lot of failures, right? Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, just you can't, uh, when you're in the space of a psychologist, you can't be like, oh, there'll be a lot of failures in life, just move ahead. You can't have that kind of attitude when you're a psychologist. Right. If there's one bad case, immediately you have to see where you went wrong. You can't just be right. like, oh, that's uh, too bad, I'll move ahead. Like You have to immediately try to rectify that kind of, you know, what could you have done better and all of that. One major problem that uh, often happens is, uh, often leads to a feeling of incompetence among a lot of psychologists is, after the first session, a client might just say, I don't want to come anymore. Oh. Right. Uh, it could be other reasons, could be money or whatever, like you said, it's, it is quite expensive, uh, but mm -hmm. they'll just say, I don't want to come anymore. But most of the time, it's them fighting therapy, right? It's them fighting the need to treat themselves. They feel like they are in that, uh, especially if it's like a personality disorder or something, they feel like they are fine. There is no need to get better, right? So that all of that is uh, an issue when it comes to seeing yourself as competent. But you can't always measure your competence by how well your clients are doing not always yeah and the second part of the question uh, well that would be the opposite of what i just said <laughs> <laughs> i was expecting for this all right i mean like me i've always thought about it always like the uh, suppose like if i grow up and then grow up to be a really good psychologist and and uh, you know like all of a sudden a person who is my client commits suicide like I i've always thought about it like what will what would I think about myself? But then now I listen to Nihal, sir, and then I think it's pretty clear. Okay. Anisha? 
Um yeah no I agree with what Nehal sir said one because I mean I haven't personally experienced anything I I haven't even completed my undergrad yet and uh, my hopes and dreams of interning with psychologists have been washed away because of covid uh <laughs> but uh, so I can't really say much on it because I'm extremely inexperienced in that particular field but yes. i agree with whatever nehal sir said <laughs> no i was also thinking that you know uh, ever since covid has come how will not just psychology there so many fields that they require field experience like i, I was yeah. really worried about what kind of psychologist you all will become because you won't have any kind yeah, no, no, like no. like i said right like you learn much more in the first 10 minutes or the first therapy session that you do in years of learning so it's always worth yeah. wondering about that I've done internships online like I've done two I've done one and I'm in the second one now but I can't seem to get um, a proper credible psychology internship online it's you know it's more of yeah, content yeah, yeah. writing that those people offer and it's not field work you're not interacting with clients and that's what I feel is necessary to be able to smoothly sail in your masters and uh, that's what's really difficult right now so yeah yeah you guys know once this pandemic uh, is over uh, you'll have a lot of demand i'm pretty sure yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> some good hope uh, okay having said that let's move on to the myths of psychology and uh, first myth that i read on the net was mental illness are just an excuse for poor behavior what do you guys think about this so um this is where uh, people should be sensitive you can't negate uh, the effects that mental illness can have on an individual but at the same time uh, you can't say it's an excuse that people are giving but you can't justify everything that they do because of that mental illness there are ways in which you can get help so again nice. it's all between treading the line correctly so this is not a, a psychological example but there was this uh, this is happened in in my uh, when i was in my ug so there was this friend she was in a relationship with someone and she was quite de- uh, not quite depressed uh, she yeah she was actually very depressed under in the bdi her score was severely depressed so she was in a relationship with this other guy whenever she used to talk about her depression and all of that to the other guy he used to say i have scored more than you in the depression scale i am more depressed than you and i am like uh, you should stop talking about your issues so he wow, was seeing it as a yeah he was being competitive <laughs> about his depression right later on he went to therapy he started uh, self harming so his parents forcefully forced, forcibly took him to therapy but that was 2 years after so mm-hmm. for so, and that was when i was in my masters so 2 year like for so long he and his uh, girlfriend went into that kind of pattern right and the thing is when especially if you're in a relationship the attitudes of your partner might also start to rub off on you right, right. and if there are attitudes like this it can be very very dangerous right? she was also on the verge of uh, you know self harming but she got right. help in time right because she went into master she got help in time he still kept on saying that therapy is not going to help right so that could be definitely an issue any other myth that you guys are aware of i've heard so many people say that because there's no quantitative research there's more of qualitative in particular fields of psychology yeah. not all suppose like counseling there's not a lot of quantitative work you can't empirically say what's happening in someone's mind and it's more of quality and progress over time and a lot of people 
especially of the older generation uh, i don't know if it's because of the taboo that was uh, attached to mental health uh, previously but they don't accept like a lot like even people in my own family uh, they are not very forthcoming towards therapy they don't see the point of therapy they're like okay you have a problem but it's in your hands to get over it how is someone else you know telling you what to do going to help you if you can't help yourself and things like that yeah i think so, uh, that's um, that's also very uh, that's also a very important thing uh, when it comes to the kind of opinions that people have it can also be framed by a sort of a sort of influenced by the kind of media that you watch the kind of social not just social media but whatever kind of uh, thing is given more of an exposure so you guys must have seen a lot of films or tv shows whenever a person is admitted into a mental hospital regardless of what the disorder is immediately the first step the psychologist do is apparently there's a shock given to the patients it could be depression <laughs> it could be uh, anything immediately there's a shock administered so there's actually a, yeah, yeah right so uh, there's actually yeah. a, a, for some of the people who have encountered like patients they were afraid that if they say a wrong answer to me i would just you know start shocking them for some reason right so they and it's a very valid fear that they have because that's all they have, they have seen right but electro shocking or what we call electroshock therapy and all electroconvulsive therapy ect it oh. is uh, highly like you know it's controlled it's only uh, sort of used as often as used as a last resort and a lot of the time you are already under like you are under you are given epidurals and all you, you they don't just start shocking you like a generator and, and it's only used in like cases of serious depression where uh, they have found that okay drugs are not working or in cases of uh, schizophrenia or bipolar or something that's when they use it but yeah so i just i was just wanted to talk about how films and all can also sort of help create a negative image regarding it yeah also that thing i mean it's a very funny thing like whenever i say people that i'm doing psychology then they'll be like oh tell me what's going on in my mind i want to know <laughs> yeah but i don't understand why people relate Uh, psychology with mind reading or you know, dude even psychology and psychics like psychologists and psychics are so often um yeah. they've been intertwined yeah yeah, yeah. so people confuse like, them yeah 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 no they don't yeah. confuse them they deliberately intertwine their fields of expertise like if there are people who genuinely are confused between what a psychic does and what a psychologist does okay you can sit them down and explain but you know Uh, informed individual sit down and be like are you a psychic you know can you predict my future because you're studying it like no i really can't we are not professor trilony from harry potter <laughs> i swear <laughs> yeah, look in the, look in the coffee mugs i'm like oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but it would be fun to have a psychic psychologist you know you don't even have to talk anything you'll figure everything out and it'll give yeah. you what you need to do Psychic psychologist sounds like a the perfect stereotype. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> 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 Somehow we have created the perfect psychologist, a psychic psychologist. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, another another myth that astounded me when while I was reading the myths online was uh, having BPD is a choice. Is that true? No, it's not. Actually. No, no, it, it really is. No, no it's not a choice. It's not a choice. I don't know. I don't know. Online, I'm like having BPD is a choice. Is It's that... so sad. Like, why would somebody want to make it a choice? 
it's very interesting this concept of choice people uh, would normally never associate things like that with choice but then if it's something that they are not uh, aware of immediately it becomes a choice like yeah, uh, yeah. no no one thinks that being straight is a choice but then when they hear about people who are homosexual a lot of people do think that okay it's a choice to be a homosexual right uh, so suddenly true, true, true. if it's something that you don't understand uh, a lot of people start equating it to a choice right right that is true also about bipolar disorder i've heard so many people say that you know uh, like I, i know a girl and then she went like oh i've been experiencing a lot of mood swings lately i think i'm bipolar i need What? to get treated that i mean, yeah she she told me that she was bipolar because she is having a lot of mood swings well, i don't think so bipolar disorder is just mood swings right yeah exactly but then she was oh, a psychology right. student and i heard her talking like that is like nikal <laughs> I think one more um, aspect to this is that there is a fad on social media to say hashtag I'm depressed or you know oh, associate yeah. these psychological terms to very um, uh, I would like for lack of better word I'm sorry I'm using this but for very insignificant things <gasps> like you know so like they don't understand what um, like the meaning that it holds or the weightage that a person who is actually experiencing those things True. i hear on a daily basis oh my god i'm so anxious I'm so i have anxiety yeah. i'm so depressed yeah. and dude are you bipolar because you know someone at one time would be smiling and talking but you know something would cause them cause their mood to change and then they'd be like shit you're bipolar yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you know adding on to that there. no adding on to that you remember like when we well, i think it was in 2013 and then there was this whole emo phase yeah, where you know yeah. like being yeah. depressed was a thing yeah it was a thing yeah, so, yeah. the whole yeah. stress thing yeah. <laughs> exactly Guys, that who are listening to this podcast, being depressed is not cool. Just don't say it out now and like that. Please stop. Get some help. Stop it. Yeah, get some help. This is are not for you to get popular. It's for you to get help. Right. So please go get. Yes. Anyone knows any other myths that they think is very funny and something that we have to address as upcoming psychologists and people going to Canada. uh i i just want to ask this one like uh does psychologist deal with a uh, patients with autism autism yeah uh yeah it is uh, i think it comes under learning disability no neurological uh, neurodevelopmental disorder yes. right yeah neurodevelopmental yes yeah. i just yeah. heard a myth that vaccine causes autism and many oh no. <laughs> no, 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 no 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 <laughs> there are a whole bunch of anti vaxxers so we got to bust this myth yes yeah please. there are a lot of uh, anti vaxxers yes anti vaxxers uh, <laughs> are a breed of people i do not want to associate Oh my god <laughs> I mean there was when the flat earth people but, but, but the thing is flat earthers are not harming anyone right exactly. but exactly. uh, yeah. anti vaxxers are making sure that they themselves are like in their childhood they were vaccinated but they'll make sure their own kids are not right so there's actually mm. uh, cases of unvaccinated kids calling like causing small levels of epidemics in different schools because uh, and of diseases that yeah. have been eradicated yeah. decades ago all pox and all this yeah, yeah. yeah so please throw some light on it's it it's crazy 
how do we throw light on this it has more to do with conspiracy theories i believe I, at least i feel because it's so it goes overboard on the internet and any like anyone and everyone has access to the internet today so if you read one too many articles you're going to say the government has put a chip inside my brain and you know like through these vaccines and all of that i'm a pet of the government and i don't want my child to be that and i'm not saying uh, that it's true or untrue uh, we are yeah let's just not go on uh, government <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, i think like fear or uh, overthinking i think can be used as an example over here got it no guys if you can't can- throw like If I you want know. to throw a shit from the <laughs> you know uh, let's say the moon landing and stuff like that or mm-hmm. a certain president's assassination in the united states of america <laughs> i can't even, believe you just said that even even i come on but people uh, the illuminati let's take the illuminati like i feel i wouldn't go to jail for saying uh, talking about the illuminati but yeah a lot of people do believe that they exist and you know there's a whole crazy I mean I believe I think she is assassinated she shouldn't have talked about the illuminati she is gone <laughs> so we are back so really don't have anything against Yeah sorry uh, we have no yeah. uh, yes no so we have no opinions about it just say yes just say sir uh, i think you yeah. mentioned uh, you mentioned that you have uh, dealt with patients who are dealing with uh, autism so if you can share a bit of your experience with them and how it was how it how hard it was that would be yeah definitely so uh, i got cut off can you repeat everything you all just said see that's why you should talk live you're alive yeah we just apologize to the illuminati so not to remove us <laughs> yeah so uh, you were asking about uh, autism right so the thing yeah. about autism is uh, uh, psychologists do work with kids with autism but primarily the people who work in the uh, with kids who have autism is uh, these clinicians who practice aba which is applied behavioral analysis right and uh, people who are lower on the spectrum they also work with psychologists so psychologists usually will deal with the behavioral aspects of it so one major difference of dealing with uh, like a regular child and a child with uh, autism is that you need much you need patience for both but you need much more patience to deal with a child with autism right uh and i'm not just saying that in a broad sense okay you need to be patient because everyone knows that you need, whatever it is whatever profession you belong to you need to have patience but they will stop you especially kids who are a bit more higher up on the spectrum they will stop you from doing very basic therapies like if you talk to a child a regular child the best the, the worst they might do is they'll run off or they start crying or whatever right but the door is at the end of the day the door is locked or the parents are there so you can still sort of get them back into the therapy right usually if it's a, a doing therapy with children they'll be their parents either in the room or, or in the waiting room right but with autism you need longer sessions like you need two or three hour sessions so the parents might not always be waiting so they are in a completely different environment and they take much more time to get used to people and environments around them also so correct okay. some things that you might not even think will uh, will harm them will start harming them right auditory cues they are very very sensitive there's different types of it but some of them are really sensitive to certain types of music so i'll give an example where uh, 
someone's ringtone one of the therapists their ringtone started ringing and it was one uh, it was a metallica song right and it was not even that loud it was what you and i might characterize as a moderate level of volume but this mm-hmm. child immediately went to a corner and started you know covering his eye, his ears right because it was too much right for them oh, okay. so uh, when i was talking to his parents he did say that during uh, diwali or during like celebrations like that or you know whenever there's a lot of noise in the ground they have this side of semi padded room where they keep the child like semi soundproof room right okay. to make sure that the the stimulus is not too much obviously not everyone can afford it is very very expensive to make a room like that so you can imagine the parents who do not have the facilities to make certain uh, you know con- uh, provisions for the children like that right? so they they are very very um, sensitive to certain stimuli right sometimes it could be light right so the colors of the autism centers also the good ones will be very muted you try not to use a lot of darker colors you can use it colors and the lighting also there'll be a bit of a dimmed light and the floors are sort of carpeted with rubber mm-hmm. beneath them so that even if they fall uh, they don't really hurt themselves uh, as much mm-hmm. um one question i have this for nihal sir what yeah. kind of uh, therapy do uh, autistic children receive like what is the point of their therapy right so it's mostly related to behavioral therapy so some of them are with, uh, those of them who are higher up on the spectrum they will be a lot of them will be completely non verbal right or maybe they'll be largely non verbal but they can say a few words here and there right so the concept of aba will be completely focused on behavior itself right uh, okay. helping them uh, stay in a room right helping them travel right helping them stay at home without constant supervision right so okay. the, uh, one one major role that we do major aspect of it is we try to catch it as early as possible if you catch it at say the age of 2 there's a huge difference then compared to if you're catching it at the age of 4 or 5 because by then okay. uh, a lot of the abilities that they could have developed uh, have been lost already okay yeah nice okay sir is there anything such as esp you're talking about uh, extra sensory that sensory thing, perception yeah. yes Uh, from a psychological perspective I, i'm pretty sure there's some uh, researches done in cognitive psychology about it and sci- there have been researches i'm really not sure about how uh, it, it's still as of now from what i'm uh, aware of it is still characterized under paranormal psychology and uh, anything that comes under paranormal psychology is not given a lot of importance or whatever because it's very difficult to prove or uh, observe as such right so and this is different when you're talking about esp is different it's uh, telekinesis and uh, moving things and reading minds all of that would come under extrasensory perception so it's very very difficult to read that a lot of the information that we have now comes from uh, people who did whatever they did before modern age before cameras and before videos and all of that so a lot of people who believe in it sort of you know still uh, use all of that as a you know houdini's tricks and all of that they sort of use that as a you know thing right sai any other question can i add something uh nope but i have a lot of research to do i have a lot of information <laughs> to process today so <laughs> thanks a lot guys uh, before we end it uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's one last question to the uh, group again just uh, mm. okay in these uncertainties how do how do we keep our mental health intact and mind motivated you what? mean in the present scenario yeah right oh, now yes. uh, because of covid oh Uh, okay who wants to go first you guys can talk about your uh, experiences especially with being students during this time and all 
Okay. Uh, wow. You know, so this is like a recurring topic for you. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, I, no, no. I'm, I'm talking about being students during COVID, like online classes in that context. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So, um, for me, the first, the first lockdown was, uh, it was nice. It was good because <laughs> nice. my entire family was there. Okay. Yeah, because I had never spent so much. Like in my twenty years of existence, I feel this one month that the first lockdown was initiated was the most I've spent with my full family at one place. Oh, uh, I know. <laughs> so it was very wholesome. <laughs> we would play pictionary and stuff every day. So it was good. Like it was good bonding. Uh, what else after that? But then you know, not meeting my friends was. also like a big issue for me because i would see them every single day and uh, it was not just college 9 to 4 but we would go out after that and then you know we'd hang out at one of our places and uh, so not seeing them for those 12 hours a day was initially very difficult mm. now we've kind of gotten used to it and studying during covid um, it is a little uh, stressful because you know your plans that you had to uh, how you're going to manage your final year and you know uh, once you finish uh, once you graduate at least my plans have you know kind of um, not been destroyed but they've been thrown off balance okay so you know you trying to get it back on track and figure out how to go about it because uh, none of us know what the post covid world is going to be like we're still in a covid present world yeah. uh, we don't know how sit- uh, the situation is going to be a year from now so to even make a concrete plan for next year when i graduate is a little bit difficult because you're not sure what it's going to be like so now we're just taking it one day at a time trying to figure out what makes or uh, what works for me and that's been a journey i guess mm, for me like it, I, i mean the entire lockdown for such long period of time happened all of a sudden i still like you know like i'm very sad that i did not get a graduation yet i mean it was my last year in college and all of that but anyways getting back <laughs> you got um, your last year in college <laughs> my last year in college is at home you didn't get a graduation <laughs> i'm sorry tani i'm really sorry yeah <laughs> yeah but, yeah but anyways getting back it was really like a dream come true because it was a, like a vacation for such a long time and they, yeah like there were times where i felt really sad like that i was i felt really like lonely because i couldn't be around people and then i couldn't go out and meet people but then you know like i feel like this is the time which i made use of most of my hobbies i went back to everything that i couldn't do during yeah, my college time yeah you joined back to reality by the way just saying yes that also <laughs> and then wait you have a comeback story Yeah, she's a dancer who joined it. Oh, so she's the Niharika who joined yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to her. But I don't know this Niharika and that Niharika are the same. Wow. So yeah. it's <laughs> the same. So yeah, many good things. I mean, I I became really productive. Like yeah, I did waste a lot of time on K-pop and my phone and other stuff. <laughs> Thank God you accepted then... that you wasted time on K-pop. <laughs> But 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 then I really was productive also at the same time. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, uh, oh, you okay? So wait, what was the? <laughs> is it about my personal experience or tips to deal with COVID? 
you can oh. you can <laughs> that was the question right you were all like yes. oh my god guys it was so so cool and all yeah but that's that good you guys shared and all it's nice that you guys yeah. shared <laughs> right so uh, we didn't ask for it so don't ask about confidentiality over here you have posted <laughs> <laughs> right so uh so the, the thing is uh when it comes to th- something like this uh people who you never think will prosper other people who will prosper right people who are okay to spend time on their own and all they especially during the initial lockdowns they were the ones who were reporting like like they were really happy some of them were saying they were living their dream life right people who were not really used to uh like who, who are sorry who are used Actually. to spending time yeah so people who are used to spending time by themselves for example me i felt like i was living my dream life like uh, for so long i was like i don't want, i don't have to go to college i don't have to be students and all of that so it was it was absolutely great for me, right so no, no i like my students it's just i don't want to meet them every day right this online thing is you know right so and but it did place a lot of strain for people who are not that are not wired that way people who sort of need human contact and all so i had got a lot of messages from students and teachers and friends and everyone who said that okay so what are some tips and like how are you doing and people who never you guys might have also experienced this people your friends who you never talked to years might have texted or called during this whole in the past 3 or 4 yeah. months right yeah. but that just yeah. happened to yeah that just it seemed to happened. have to happened out of nowhere right so some tips uh, my this is uh, more of a scientific way but this is tips that the unicef itself is telling people with how to deal with it my father works in unicef so he himself told me these are some tips how to you know he thought i'd uh, i'd be really sad but he doesn't know me at all so anyway he passed these things to me so some of them include exercise right uh, i'll just go through the list i'll these Uh, this particular thing i'm reading out because this is what unicef and who have sort of agreed upon themselves right so one is exercise a lot of it will seem like a basic like uh, common sense like oh if you're alone just do exercise or you know talk to a friend but still bear with me there are some uh, caveats to this part so when you're talking mm-hmm. about experience you need to get about 15 to 20 minutes of physical activity per day right so when we were talking about the effect of sports uh, when it comes to mental health this is sort of uh, going back to that connecting it to that Uh, again when you're alone or with friends and all it's not competitive in any nature so it's supposed to you know get your you know help you in a physical way but also calm your mind it really helps especially for people who are suffering from some kind of anxiety disorder right second is music now uh, music you can actually do music therapy or you can do you can just listen to music so there's a difference between music therapy and listening to music uh music therapy is you are actually using music as a tool right as a clinical tool to or music or musical instruments to help a patient with different kinds of disorders right so yeah. that is the major difference between music and music therapy so you could actually i would just listening to music right whatever is your favorite type of music and then now we'll come on to a little more clinical aspects of it writing about your feelings so that would come under this concept of this thing called thought diary i think i've talked about a thought diary in uh, tanisha's class are you guys aware of what it is yes yeah okay uh, i forgot there's people from all disciplines here so basically a thought diary is you try to write a few lines every day right so it you could see it as a proper journal or whatever but uh, yeah basically you try to write a few lines every day 
So to make sure that you don't feel lazy while writing, try to keep a pen and paper always with you, right? Uh, it's you're in your house most of the time, so make sure you have access to a pen and paper. Don't feel like you should be sort of bound to some form of structure, right? You don't. Uh, you might feel the need to, you know, write in a prose and good handwriting and all. You don't need to do any of that. Whatever is comfortable to you, do that. Right? So basically, how a thought diary works is, whenever you're feeling bad. Right or whenever you're feeling anxious or any kind of negative emotion, what you do is you write down what caused that particular emotion. You write down where you were when that uh, when you felt that particular emotion or that particular thought. Uh, who you were talking to, who was around you, all of that. Right. So you you can create this kind of column. One is where you were. Second, what you were doing. Third, uh, who you were talking to. Four, where you were. All of that. Right. So after a while, you'll start to see a pattern that okay, all of my negative thoughts are when I am with this particular person, or all mm -hmm. of my negative thoughts are when I am uh, laying alone in bed, or when I'm uh, I don't know when I'm watching TV or whatever. Right? So you'll try to that, that's after a week or two of actually maintaining a thought diary, you'll start to see a pattern sort of emerging, right? So just knowing what is causing your anxiety or what is causing your depression can actually go a long way, right? and obviously ultimately uh, these are all just play cards and these are all tools to get you through this thing if you do feel like none of this is working you should definitely contact a therapist don't feel like okay i am doing my exercise and i am doing uh, all the music therapy and all you still might have significant negative feelings left over right so if something like that, that is happening don't feel like you should go through this alone you definitely should you know get in touch with a therapist right yeah it was really uh, thoughtful and really helpful. I guess uh, it it, ha it it is helpful for me as an individual. So thank you so much for that, sir. Yeah. And, uh, I think that's it from the podcast, guys. Thank you so much for joining in and uh, talking for three hours. So. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I learned thank a lot so in this episode. I learned a lot in this episode. So thanks a lot for joining in, guys. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you so much. Can you, can, you, can you put your number in the description saying uh, contact this therapist? <laughs> yeah, 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 I'll do that. Guys, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so thank you so much for joining and um, hope you guys had fun. So. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely did. Yes. Bye, guys. Bye, bye, guys. Bye. bye. Wow, so today's episode was great, wasn't it? We learned a lot and can definitely take away something or the other from this. We hope you guys enjoyed listening to the podcast as much as we did hosting it. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Through the Alley. Make sure to check out our Instagram page, Baxterly and Baxterly Productions, where you get updates on our podcast on Spotify and you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value to this episode, we would really appreciate if you share it around and get us more followers guys and you can also find us on facebook twitter linkedin by the same names be sure you tune into our next episode peace out <laughs> this is saivi signing off this is Ashwin signing off bye